0: Welcome to Commando On Demand, your fast-paced weekly update straight from Kim's desk to your ears. I'm Mike James, and in the last couple, several weeks, close to 30 million people have lost their jobs. Oil prices have crashed, restaurants and airlines are shutting down, and the coverage is noisy and difficult to digest. And that's why Kim is bringing in trends senior analyst steph smith to brief us on which trends are worth watching and to make sense of uh, all the complicated things that we're seeing right now you're going to learn which industries have been hit the hardest what uh, second and third effects that you can expect to see next which industries are surging and getting investments and how behaviors have uh, are of course changing Later on, Kim checks in with the creator of uh, something that's called Project Thor, which is an effort to bring high speed internet to rural areas of Colorado. It's the story behind Project Thor and why it's important to the region. It's a really a fascinating story. By the way, this is not the nationally syndicated Kim Commando show on over 400 stations. The podcast version of the show is available. As a matter of fact, right now, if you go to GetKim.com and use promo code Kim, you'll get a 30-day free trial. You can come behind the scenes and watch us record on Friday at noon Pacific time, 3 o'clock Eastern time. And it's a lot of fun. Just kind of see what happens behind the scenes when we're recording the show. And uh, again, that's at GetKim.com. Use promo code Kim for your free 30-day trial. After that, it's $4.99 a month. All right, coming up next, with all the COVID stuff going on, what trends can we expect to see? Trend senior analyst Des Smith will be with us in just a moment on Commando On Demand Insider. Spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's
1: best converting
0: checkout.
1: Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com records.
2: I'm not sure what the new normal is other than life as we knew it might never return. We're going to stand six feet from anyone in the grocery store, but at least we have store shelves that are loaded. Uh, There's separation among people at restaurants and bars. Airplanes might do away with the middle seats, so I guess that's a positive. Uh, Gas is cheaper, too. But what about our businesses? What about our future? Where is it all headed? Are there any trends that we can see now that might help us direct where we should be putting our time and our money for our business? Well, there's a smart email newsletter that I get called The Hustle, and in a recent issue, they mentioned that they would be covering. In a recent issue, they mentioned that they would be covering trends, and a. In, sorry about that. In a recent issue, they mentioned that they would be covering trends: what life would look like after COVID-19. And joining us is Trend Senior Analyst Steph Smith to brief us on which trends are worth watching. And to make sense of this complicated world that we're in. So Steph, let's start with the elephant in the room. I'm talking about Amazon.com. They can handle demand. Sales are out of control. Uh, What's the trickle down effect of this?
3: Amazon is the one company that'll come out of this ahead. Maybe not the one, but certainly uh, the king company that'll come out ahead of this this pandemic. And I think what's interesting about Amazon is, right now you're just seeing so many consumers just completely change their behavior of course amazon had many customers before but now amazon is the go-to um company where you get not just you know your your boxes of, of shelf products but you're getting your groceries from amazon you're getting your entertainment from amazon you're getting basically everything that that you currently purchase from amazon and i think that'll just completely shift the way that um most consumers actually engage um with online shopping
2: Well, you know, what's really interesting is that uh, the gal who who works for us is our finance manager, and she's in her, say, late 30s, early 40s. And it was probably just about six weeks ago that we needed some supplies for an office party. And she said, well, I'm going to run over to Safeway. I'm like, why would you run over to Safeway? Just prime it. She's like, prime what? (laughs) I'm like... (laughs) You know, it's just like Google. Now it's like we're going to prime something. So I'd explain to her like, no, you just go online and then they deliver it like in an hour or two. All right. We know that the hour or two is not that way in all places across the country right now. But still, if you buy something at Costco, it says two-day shipping. Uh, Now it's 14-day shipping. I just did that myself. But what about um, going back to Amazon? Okay, we have all kinds of third party sellers on Amazon. Do we see any other competitive marketplaces coming up like this?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's actually a lot of backlash right now because, of course, Amazon itself has brands on their platform. And um, they really, similar to the way that Google can dictate how search results show up, Amazon can dictate how different brands are showing up on the platform. And it's really this. This interesting dynamic where brands are, are kind of um, they're kind of stuck where they're dependent on Amazon. So you're already seeing a lot of brands go and create um, their own platforms, their own direct consumer um, platforms where they're shipping directly without Amazon. You're also seeing brands like Shopify. Shopify is um, continuously developing their platform, and they're actually looking, I think, to compete directly with Amazon. And of course, you see other giants like Walmart, which have large e-commerce platforms. And so I do think you're you're seeing this back question. It's similar to what you see with Google where people are like, I can't be dependent on this one platform, especially as Amazon puts their own products in place of many of these brands. You are, I think, going to see a diversification there.
2: Yeah. You know, that's really interesting to me, Steph, that you said that because it's fascinating to me that Amazon said recently, like, no, we don't look at the data in order to try to figure out what we should be selling. It's like, oh, come on, really? I mean, did we, I I think your nose is growing, just like you even just, you would even think that we would possibly believe that. So we start talking about all these other platforms and people are moving to other places because they don't want to be consumed by Google. They don't want to be consumed by Amazon. Um, What industries do you think have been hit the hardest by COVID-19 in this pandemic?
3: Yeah, so there's, there's of course the industries that are are the obvious ones that are just, Directly related to closures, right? You have airlines, you have the box office, you have restaurants. So I think those ones will um, be shaped completely differently as they come back online. Like you just Im- imagine—I'm not sure people will want to be in a restaurant at least as as we imagined it three months ago. Um, in the next couple months or even years, so those those industries will be completely reshaped. But then you also have industries like malls, for example, as we were just talking about e-commerce, which you know malls are closed right now. Some people estimate or predict that you know malls will will come back once it's over or once we can all get back to work. Um, but then you just have these like these changes in consumer behaviors, um, which we do have to think about. And you have to kind of just look at every industry line by line and say, huh, like even if this isn't directly impacted by closures, um, how have our our downstream effects? Um, how how are those going to impact the way these businesses either don't open up? Or if they do open up, will they be completely different? And so I think there's the obvious ones, as I mentioned, but we really do need to go line by line with every industry and and think critically about whether these industries are being impacted for the long run.
2: You know, Steph, that's a really good point. What do you think of the gig economy? We start talking about Uber and Instacart and anyone else under the sun.
3: Yeah, so the gig the gig economy has been growing in terms of its market share of, of I guess, employment overall for, for many years prior to the coronavirus. Um, but of course, you're seeing that increase substantially during this time period. Um, and what will be interesting is, you know, there's, there's already been some backlash um, in terms of these gig economy workers. They're not getting health care. They're not getting the same benefits. Um, and as you have like a larger percentage of the population actually enter these employment terms, you're going to continue seeing backlash there. And so I think what we will see is some sort of um, legislation change in terms of how do we support these gig economy workers? How do we actually, you know, when, once the gig economy um, becomes a majority of our workforce, how are we going to maintain or, or support those people? I think that's going to be a conversation. Um, and then just in general, right now, you're seeing a large amount of unemployment. And as people are currently at home and, and can't, um, you know, find employment. They're going to look for different avenues, and the gig economy is is a great avenue, at least for the time being, for people to start looking. And so, I think just naturally, in terms of like people moving more online, people losing work and looking for different avenues to find new work, the gig economy is just going to thrive in this environment. Hopefully, we can actually provide people with good opportunities in terms of again some of those healthcare benefits as well
2: you know you you mentioned Uber and we talk about the gig economy and, and a lot of these companies came after the two thousand and eight recession and we had a lot of v c backed businesses like Uber and Slack and Square or even groupon right uh to name a few. What do you see right now that's happening in the v c marketplace
3: yeah, so just naturally as we we enter a more recessionary period. There, there's a shift in dynamic in terms of how people allocate their capital, and you shift from you know when when you're in good times, many people are very happy to make long-term bets and and fund innovation that maybe won't pay off for you know 10, 20 years. Um, what you see generally in recessionary periods is that pulls back a bit, and people are now looking to fund things that are, will be more immediately profitable. And so you're already seeing this with you know, seed deals are, are already down more than things like um, series A or series B deals. And and why is that? It's because seed deals are less certain, right? These are completely new companies versus something that's already in their series A or B that um, have proven profitability or have proven their product market fits. You're already seeing a pullback in terms of people willing to bet on the future. So that's one thing. And then in terms of actual industries that are getting funding, you're I mean, Um, We did an analysis of this last week, and pretty much the the companies, at least in the short term, that are being funded are anything tech, of course. And then within tech, it's biotech, it's fintech. Um, And so you are, I think, going to see even more of a pullback in VCs willing to bet on some of the more traditional industries.
2: And as far as the money that's exchanging hands, are you seeing a decline in how much the VCs are willing to put up?
3: Yeah, I think there's definitely been a decline. You're seeing a, a slowdown in, in both deal volume and also deal size. Um, I think that'll continue into the future. But again, it's just this, it's this incentive structure where when people, when there's less money flowing, people need to have the confidence that they're going to get their money back. And therefore, they're, they're not only going to look for um, potentially smaller deals, but they're going to have different terms. And, and really, I think the equation shifts from for a long time the um, the actual entrepreneur was actually had a more favorable position in negotiations. And now we're actually seeing the investor, I think, take some of that back um, and they'll look for companies that are more immediately profitable.
2: When you talk about profitability, are you looking at and the VCs? Are they like you mentioned, like it used to be like, oh, well, you know, we want to get them in touch with the marketplace. We start collecting the data. We want to get our foundation, get our footprint. And as the paradigm changes, then we might see a profit in 24 or 36 months, something like that. Are those timeframes shortening up as well?
3: So I think it's a little too early to tell, but you saw some of this drawback happen even in 2019 before coronavirus. So you saw kind of a wave of companies that um, were, you know, they were slated as unicorns and they, they focus, as you said, they focus on user acquisition and having that happen first. And then they said, you know what, if we have this number of users, we'll figure out how to monetize. And then you actually saw many of those companies struggle to do so and struggle to really turn that profitability key. And so you already saw some backlash in 2019, where you know, companies like 2019 was the year of the IPO, right? Uber, Lyft, like all these companies that were not profitable were, were going public. And you saw some of their stocks really, really take a hit um, post their, their public offerings because they really weren't profitable, and there was no um, clear pathway to profitability. So I think there was already a backlash in that in 2019, and I think with the coronavirus right now and us going into a more recessionary period, it's almost inevitable that that will be drawn back even more.
0: Hey, remember, especially in times like these, it's important to keep up with breaking tech news, security alerts, data breaches, and much more with the free commando newsletters. You can get yours at commando.com, which is K-O-M-A-N-D-O dot com. And on the top, click on Get the Newsletters. Uh, we'll send you an email to confirm. And there you go. You'll be right up to date. Back to the interview with Steph Smith, Senior Trends Analyst, in just a moment on Commando On Demand Insider.
2: So as you're analyzing all the trends... Are there any standout companies, even if you don't name the company, like like there are these certain products that you're like, wow, that was really smart. And I could totally see this being funded before, say, another type of opportunity.
3: Yeah. So I think anything right now in the like digital health space is it, huge. I think that was a space in general that was held back mostly by just tradition or the processes that we had in place, um, obviously some regulation as well. Um, but I think a lot of people, it was just, you know, in, I lived in Asia for a while and I very often use telehealth, telemedicine. Um, and it was very, um, it was more accepted there because it was created in an environment that didn't have anything blocking it. Um, there was less tradition, um, in the way. And here it's, people feel very uncomfortable, you know, getting advice from a doctor online, um, there's, there's obviously uh, valid reasons for that, but I think now that we're forced to try some of these things, so we're, we're seeing a lot of people forced to try remote work. We're also seeing a lot of people forced to try telemedicine or telehealth. And I think those companies are uniquely slated to do extremely well because their offerings are good. They're really just held back by people um, not having their habits form around these types of companies.
2: You know, one of the side benefits, I think, of this COVID-19 pandemic, as I see it in my family, is... We no longer really need to hand over our credit card anymore. I had to set up my husband on his phone to say, "Listen, you're going to Walgreens. Do not give them your credit card. Just use Apple Pay." And he's like, "What? Apple Pay? I, I you, you need to set that up." So I'm like, "Okay, it's really easy. Just you know, open up the wallet, give them a credit card, bingo, bingo." And then, and then we had to have like a practice session at home, like about contactless payments. I see that area exploding. Do you?
3: absolutely absolutely and so this is another great example where I mean it's it, it's so funny because certain countries are sh- just so behind in terms of their like contactless digital payments whereas if you go to a country like China I know many people have mixed views on on the Chinese but yeah, everything's digital already um, and so there's no reason why a society like America can't also have that it's just uh, the way I like to put it is you you have a country like america where there's just there's already so much in place and so in order to innovate you need to remove what's already there to put something new in but if you go to a country um that's like you know doesn't have infrastructure in place they're just going for whatever's best now um and so what i think coronavirus is forcing us to do is just like just get rid of some of the um some of the infrastructure that was old and slow and Just replace it with the new. And I I completely agree that contactless payments, touchless technology, all of that stuff is just going to skyrocket given the, the environment that we're in.
2: My son is a student at USC. And there's talk whether or not that the fall semester is actually going to be on campus. And I started thinking about, like, you know, he's taking all of his classes online right now and he's struggling with it, quite frankly, because he's like, I'm so distracted. I'm like, well, you know, you need to put Snap away and TikTok and everything else in order to focus. Um, do you see anything with what happens with education as we move forward?
3: Absolutely. And so that's such an interesting space where, you know, for years we've actually had digital education available, right? And, and you're seeing some of those platforms like Udemy get more traction um, over the last couple of years, but still um, people really um, validate or, or think that uh, an in-person degree is, is still much more effective. But we're coming to a convergence point where um, you know, some people would say that the digital education platforms are just as effective or at least have just as high-quality content on there. And so when you really think about it, this is, this is another one of those examples where coronavirus is putting things to the test where it's like, can you get as good of an education online, yes or no? If the answer is yes, then I think most education will, will just move online. If the answer is no, then, then obviously the future is a little more complicated. Um, but you do start to ask yourself questions like, um, you have a, a, an amazing school like Harvard. If you can create the online Harvard, why can't then you know millions of people attend Harvard? It's this really interesting dynamic. And, and I think we will see... Um, personally, like a prediction for me is that I do think we're going to see many schools go online, and many of the schools that have uh, temporarily closed may never open again—at least in, in their um, old form.
2: I wonder if the tuition will be cheaper.
3: See, okay, well, that's what's interesting, and a lot of people are talking about just just that dynamic of like, where is our money going? If I'm paying, you know, I, I've never—I <laughs> didn't uh, go to school in America, but I didn't—I assume tuitions can go as high as fifty thousand. Where's my fifty thousand going if you're giving me these lessons online and I can find something comparable elsewhere? And so people are starting to ask these questions um given the given the environment that they're currently having to learn in. Yeah,
2: you know, because it is fascinating. I will tell you that I had to reach out to uh not USC because he's finishing up at SMU. In Dallas. And I had to reach out to him and say, OK, you know, he was a first year student. He's not in the dorm. So do I get my dorm fees back? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and the first question, they actually said, well, you know what? We're not sure. I'm like, well, what part he's not there? Don't you get on? To, you don't understand. I mean, he hasn't been there. He's not eating the food. He's not using your electric. Um, but But it is really fascinating getting back into what life is going to be like and how this is a total disruptor. I mean, in so many different aspects, up to and including, you know, anything with dating online. How's that going to work, Steph?
3: It's, it's so funny. I mean, I've heard, I, I'm personally not single, but I, I've heard of people either just saying like, you know, this is a period where I'm going to stay away from that. But then you also see some really interesting things going on. I'm not sure if you saw there was a Netflix show. Oh, gosh, I can't remember what it's called, but it was basically people who sat in these booths. I think it's called Love at First Sight or something like yeah, that. But yeah, anyway, you're right. Mm-hmm, you're right. Yes, and so people created a digital version of that with basically like a Google Sheet and a Google Doc, where people would go and they would, you know, match them up, and then they'd go on these like Zoom chats without video, talk, and then you know get matched with someone else. And so it's it's really interesting to see like when humans are forced into these strange environments or this this life that we're all having to live, they they find ways to to date and to fill the gap.
2: What about homeschooling? Gosh, so many parents are like, they've had it. They don't want They're like, (laughs) whatever we were paying our teachers, it wasn't enough. Please take these kids back.
3: Yeah, I know. I heard someone say, I've been talking about movie theaters and and how I think, you know, they won't really return in the ways that many, I personally think they, they won't return in the ways that they once existed. But I did hear some parents, you know, that no no no. like we need the we need the movie theaters is the best way to like <laughs> have a couple hour break from the kids and so I think homeschooling similar to, to online schooling where you're having a bunch of people test it and um, right now also a lot of people create products and technology to to facilitate it so you hear some some people are creating um, basically like online homeschooling classes so that like let's say you have a cohort of 50 parents and they don't Have the time because they're working. They can't homeschool their their kids one on one. So they actually have someone who is homeschooling all these children kind of together through a digital platform. So you're seeing stuff like that um, pop up. And this is all like the way I like to think about many of the things we're talking about is it's just this crazy experiment that no one asked for. But you're going to basically see people test these things out. You're going to see all parents are being forced to test homeschooling, and some percentage of them will, will stick with it. Some of them will go back to normal times after this.
2: Okay, just one more topic, real estate, because so many people bought rental properties for Verbo or Airbnb, because they were turning a profit. And as we know, that industry just took a slamming halt. Well, what do you think is going to be happening with that?
3: Yeah, so I mean, the the real estate market overall is I think, going to take a hit. That's something more downstream that you typically see in recessionary periods. So I don't think this is going to happen next week or even a month or two from now, but slowly as, of course, people start defaulting on their loans or just people have less money in general, you're going to see real estate prices go down. The interesting point that you make about, you know, there's these new... parts of the equation in terms of companies like Airbnb. And you saw for years Airbnb say that, you know what, like what we're doing is not actually putting any pressure on, on the housing market or, or the prices there. Um, but now you're actually seeing proof that it probably was. And so I think Airbnb is going to get even more regulatory um, measures that that kind of play against it. So it'll be interesting to see how, how they respond. But I also think you're going to see a big um, kind of, migration out of large cities you already see that kind of force in places like new york where the the pandemic hit them very hard but you also just consider that many people right now have moved online with their work many of those people will continue to move online and there's less incentive for them to have to stay in new york or san francisco or la um so i think as you see people kind of trickle out of those cities to some extent. Obviously, that also impacts housing prices. There's less demand. So I think you're also going to see residential prices go down in big cities.
2: Hey, Steph, thank you so much for joining us. A lot of insight, a lot of great facts, really. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Hey, if you have a question about something digital and you'd like Kim's unbiased tech advice, of course, it's advice that you can trust, go to commando.com and in the upper right-hand corner, click on the Be a Caller button. And then we'll ask you about some details about your question. And a producer, probably Manny, will be in touch with you to set you up with a time that you can get your question answered directly from Kim on the air. It's a lot of fun, and we hope you'll try it out. Again, that's at commando.com, upper right hand corner via caller. Up next, it's the creator of Project Thor, which is an effort to bring high-speed internet to rural Colorado. It's a fascinating story. Next on Commando on Demand Insider.
2: Okay, let me take you on a trip to the Colorado Mountains. The air is crisp. The mountains are just magnificent with the tall green trees almost reaching heaven. And then you have the flat plains, small towns with family owned shops, just adoring the streets. It's just adorable. You can almost picture what it must have been like for the ranch hands and the cowboys to just come into town. You feel alive in this outdoor activity-driven part of our country. What could anyone possibly want more than this? Well, how about a fast, reliable internet connection? You see, big ISPs, they didn't want to bother with western Colorado. It just wouldn't be as profitable, say, as going to an area with a lot of people willing to pay for the service. Talking about big towns. And some residents of Western Colorado, certainly they've turned to satellite, but you know how that is. It's expensive. And it's really not very good for anything much more than, say, basic web searches and email. I mean, you don't want to do any video conference calls or real-time gaming. Well, in 2018, times totally changed for the people here. The region built 481 miles of broadband hardware, and it didn't really cost very much. Okay, $2.6 million. And here to tell us how it happened is Nate Wallowitz, the regional coordinator and creator of Project Thor. And in case you're wondering who Thor was, I looked it up myself before this podcast, uh, named after the hammer-wielding Norse god. So, Nate, thanks for being with us. And let me ask you, how did you feel when you flipped the switch, so to speak, and finally got people in western Colorado the internet access that they truly need today?
1: Kim hi it was uh, it was exhilarating to be able to um, start to deliver services to these communities and deliver reliable broadband and at affordable prices because they didn't have access to this before
2: and so what did they were they just using satellite like i mentioned? I just kind of guessed that's probably where they were ending up
1: they were using yeah yes Kim they were using satellite they were also using um very very slow speed connections from existing telephone providers, who, uh, as you said in the intro, weren't really investing in upgrading the equipment in rural areas because it, it's not cost effective for them to do so. Okay, so take us to the beginning.
2: How did this? How did this idea even come to be?
1: We had we had a couple of objectives. Um, because we heard, I heard a couple of needs from our communities um, through community meetings, and also we had a broadband study uh, done in the region to identify challenges and opportunities. One of the challenges was that broadband bandwidth and was not affordable um, to our region. It wasn't accessible, and it certainly. Wasn't reliable, and so how many people are we talking about? Uh, We're talking about a population. Most of the towns in in uh, rural Colorado have less than five thousand people. Our our largest communities are five thousand people, and as you get out uh, further um, into the mountains, the populations in some of these towns drops to a couple of hundred folks. So certainly. Invest the investment per person uh doesn't uh just doesn't scale,
2: yeah, you know that's exactly where I was going with. I'm like, so how much did it cost per person order to bring them the internet access, especially I mean today I don't really know how you would survive without good reliable broadband i mean I mean it's not just having zoom calls it's affects every aspect of every business. I mean, what about the medical centers and the hospitals trying to get x rays
1: and and files and things like that we do have a number of hospitals in our area and they were very challenged um, first of all to get the bandwidth that they needed and the speed that they needed to be able to serve um, their patients efficiently uh, and also affordably uh, we have one we have one hospital Um, They're a rural hospital. They're moving in the world of COVID-19. They're also moving into telemedicine very intensively. But one of our hospitals, uh, it would take them, when they had their one gig connection, it would take them an hour to send an MRI down to a radiologist for them to take a look at. Now... That's crazy. Now they have a, yeah, it is. And now they have a 10 gig connection and they can get an MRI reading from a doctor in five minutes.
2: Which is the way, like, most of us would be used to be like, an hour. Are you kidding me? You know, it's what's going on with that? All right. So, how did you pull together the money? So if somebody's listening right now and they're thinking, you know what, we have a rural community, we'd like to figure out something like this. But you did pull together $2.5 million or so.
1: Yes, we did. We, we, um, I went out and our communities, some of our communities stepped up and said, if you can get us better broadband and we can find matching funds, we'd be happy to contribute and invest in building Project 4. So uh, we went around to I went around to local county governments and and towns and municipalities and hospital districts uh, and one rural electric co-op and asked if they would be willing to contribute to the fund. We raised one point two million dollars. We raised one point two million dollars in local funds and we received a matching one point two million dollars from the state of Colorado.
2: So then it comes time to, we'll spend the money efficiently, and then we have to do the actual plan, right? I mean, how are we going to be getting the lines where they need to be? And how long did that process take?
1: That process took over a year and a half, almost two years, to determine where existing fiber uh, was, if we could get access to it. And what public, publicly owned fiber, could also be made available to us, so that our, so that our costs could be reduced using public infrastructure as well. Did you get any pushback? We did. We did get a little bit of pushback, um, but times are changing, and the existing providers. While they understand that we're competing with them a little bit, I like to use the word coopetition. <laughs> I don't
2: think I've seen that in the dictionary, Nate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> some, sometimes we're competitors, sometimes we're partners, and, and we work cooperatively. And uh, so we did get some pushback, but we were able to bring it all together and um, build a unified network um, using a a um, competitive local exchange carrier who acted um, as our private partner they're actually operating the network for us because they have experience in operating in operating large networks so We don't need to hire the technical expertise in-house. We outsource that. So we created a huge public-private partnership.
2: You know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, sometimes you hear about these things, they either go really well or they go really badly. I mean... Um, I'm I'm thrilled that yours actually worked out because I, I mean, it took me a little bit of, I don't want to say an act of God, but a lot of pressuring, for example, to get an old telephone pole off of my property because it's like the thing's going to fall. It's been up since the 40s, okay? It should not be standing anymore. Um, So we brought internet access to all these folks, and uh, explain to me how the money is going, because do they pay Project Thor, or are they paying the ISPs?
1: They are users that want access to the network, ISPs, consumers, businesses. They actually pay the ISP, and the ISP pays our, we call them meet-me centers, which is where we bring where Project Thor lands in each community, uh, they would pay the Meet Me Center host and then Northwest COG does an aggregated collection to meet all of the, um, all of our monthly and uh, annual recurring um, invoices.
2: So are you using any fixed point wireless or is it it strictly
1: fiber? Uh, Today it's strictly fiber, Uh, we were able to gain enough access to existing fiber that we could either build short lengths of local fiber, which were affordable for the project, uh, or lease fiber from either government, public agencies, or local, um, local service providers. Uh, to be able to do that, uh, there is one community um, that um, we are going to connect to Project Thor in the future, but there is one community there are a few communities, but one of which I worked with about four years ago, and they 're actually connected to fiber by a twelve point two mile microwave link wow. to a tower that we helped the town build um, <laughs> on top of a box canyon. And there they actually get their Internet from from that tower. And we have a commercial provider. They came in and agreed to provide services.
2: Another you know what, public that's amazing.
1: partnership. That is amazing.
2: Really? I mean, I'm just seeing I'm, I was just visualizing when you say like going to the box canyon, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is really something. Um cost for the end user what does that look like?
1: Costs for the end user we have a number of m- municipalities uh one county and a couple of commercial service providers who, because Project Four is now up and operational, they can provide uh one uh, one gig symmetric connection for depends on the market, between 50 and $75 a month.
2: Well, that's affordable, certainly. Is it strictly internet, or is there any, uh, any television services coming across the lines as well?
1: Some of the providers do, um, do provide more than just internet, and they provide uh, set-top box, over-the-top type services. And some of them are also providing... Uh, Internet telephone service as well.
2: So, Nate, with everybody working at home, have, have you seen any degradation of services?
1: I have not seen degradation of services on our network uh, at all. I've, what I've seen is I've seen a, an increase in the amount of bandwidth that, um, that folks are using on the network. And we're working very hard. To ensure that uh, we've designed the network so that we can do upgrades in an affordable way, so as demand continues to increase, we can afford we can affordably upgrade the network to keep up. So, so Nate, what's next for Project Thor? We're going to start connecting other regions. Kim, Uh, Colorado has a number of other. Uh, local government funded with state support uh, created networks, and we're going to start to build build connect, fiber connections between all the networks, so that so that we can start to gain additional cost efficiencies and interoperational government efficiencies, and we can bring more providers uh, onto the network. And, of course, the next step also is taking the Project Thor concept and talking to other regions of the state that are significantly underserved and bringing the Project Thor model into those communities to help get, provide the advantages that Project Thor brings to the Northwest Colorado today um, to other regions of the state.
2: I, I see. I see so many people, Nate, that could use this throughout our country. I mean, the rural communities are definitely uh, underserved when it does come to internet access. And there, in Colorado, you proved it's like the brand new gold
1: rush, right? <laughs> that's that's a good way. That's a good way to uh, to put it, Kim. We have one town uh, who, as soon as Project Thor was turned up. They started to look at a broadband strategy, and they had three other service providers who hadn't been working in the town come to the town and say, "Hey, you know what? We'd like to provide broadband um, in town for you."
2: And you're like, "Where? Where were you five years
1: ago?" Okay, right, exactly. Well, without Project Thor and without reliable access that's affordable to the, to the internet, uh, they couldn't afford to come in.
2: So Nate, why don't you give everybody some uh, details about how they can learn more, your web address, good stuff like that.
1: Sure. Uh, you can look up project Thor at, uh, northwestcog.org slash broadband slash project Thor. uh, or you can reach out to me. My phone number is on the website. Um, and my email address is wallowitz at northwestcog.org.
2: And Nate, I, I take it from that last name that you're a nice Irishman. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nate, thanks for joining us. Uh, did a great job.
1: Kim, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you uh, Seeing Project Thor and reaching out. This is oh. this is
2: fantastic. Now I, you know what I, I think when I read the story, I'm like, this is phenomenal. And we have I have people that call me. Um, I was just thinking about I have this guy outside of Tennessee who called me, and he was trying to figure out how to get internet access to a rural com- community that he wants to build because he's buying all these acres out there or wants to and build a community of tiny homes but there's no internet access anywhere near it. And I thought, you know, what a novel idea that is though, to, you know, to make a community of tiny homes where people can pull in kind of like he said, like an RV park of like the 1950s, but now people can pull in with their airstreams and their tiny homes if they want.
1: And that's what people want to do today. People, there's a disconnect that there now is truly the ability to have a disconnect between where you live and where you work so you can work where you want to live
2: yeah or now i'm like living and working in the same room (laughs) but that's okay (laughs) i I am as well (laughs) as well i think we all are i know my apple watch comes to me is like it looks at me and goes excuse me kim are you okay because you're running every single day and you've never done this (laughs) in your entire life Hey, hey, Nate, have a great afternoon. And if you ever have anything else that you want to talk to us about, something new and exciting, just reach out and we'd love to have you back.
0: Great. Thank you, Tim. Well, thank you for listening to Commando On Demand Insider. A special thanks to our guests, Steph Smith and Nate Wallowitz. Join us next time, or if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe so you get these podcasts delivered to your device every single week. Again, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on Commando On Demand Insider.